today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Speaking of the Christian life, Paul declares to the Romans in Romans chapter 5, he says, We also glory in tribulation. Glory in tribulations? Really, Paul? How in the world can you glory in tribulations? I believe because Paul had grown, Paul had matured in his life to that point of understanding. We glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Have you ever had a trial that you thought you wouldn't make it through? Or maybe you even asked, why God? Now that you're through it, are you thankful for it? That's not saying it's anything you'd ever want to go through again. But as Pastor David points out, we grow through it. The Lord allows that which he hates to accomplish that which he loves. He doesn't enjoy us being in or going through trials. However, He will allow it so that we can learn to grow from the experience. Lord, let us be fast learners. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 2 with today's edition of The Open Word. How much influence are we going to be as true and honest believers in the midst of things rather than passing laws? Now, again, I'm, I'm tossed back and through. You talk to me in an hour later and, and I might be the other way. But in reality, I, I look at these guys here. I look at the New Testament church. I see the church all through the ages. The church lost most of its power in 300 AD when it became legalized. The life and the breath of the church lost most of its power when it became legalized. So you look at this beautiful city, but the very core of the city was every imagination of their hearts was only evil continually. According to William Barclay, emperor worship was now in full swing. He writes that emperor worship had begun a spontaneous demonstration of gratitude for Rome. But toward the end of the first century, in the days of Domitian, and this is the time that John is writing, the final step was taken and Caesar worship became compulsory. You had to sign up for it. Uh, anyway, that you didn't catch that one. But uh, anyway, once a year, the Roman citizen must burn a pinch of incense on the altar to the godhead of Caesar. And having done so, he was given then a certificate of guarantee that he had performed his religious duty. All that the Christian had to do, Barclay continues, was to burn that pinch of incense and say, Caesar is Lord. Then they could receive their certificate, they could go away, and then they could worship as they pleased. 
But you know what? That was precisely what the Christians wouldn't do. They, they wouldn't give any man the name of Lord, the name that they would keep for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. They wouldn't even pretend to conform to that requirement. Because again, for them, their, their, their stand in the Lord was so powerful in their life. Oh, there were some that did. But I believe more than anything, it showed what their real and true commitment was or was not at that point. You see, the Romans didn't really care if you worship Jesus as long as you also worship Caesar. You could worship I mean, they had multiple gods, so Jesus could just be a, a god that you worship. But you better be worshiping Caesar, too. But that was the problem that they had with the Christians. And as a matter of fact, they called the Christians atheists because they wouldn't worship all the Roman gods. And so that's the reason why the Christians received such great tribulation during that time. Now, it's also interesting. Those Jews didn't have to perform this ritual. Do you know that? Only the Christians. The Jews were excused from it for whatever reason. But as the Christian faith broke further and further away from being a sect of the Jews, then they looked at them, again, as 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 needing to pass that requirement of worshiping Caesar. And so the persecution became uh, uh, more intense, continued to grow. Many of the believers, they lost their jobs, they lost their homes. They were bullied, literally, throughout the whole culture of the Roman uh, Empire, both by Romans and by Jews, too, because neither the Romans or the Jews liked them. In fact, both of them hated them. So any chance or opportunity that they had, both Roman and Jew would come persecute the Christian. The writer of Hebrews tells us that the early Christians joyfully accepted the plundering of their goods, knowing that they had a better and enduring possession for themselves in heaven. What an interesting concept that is, even for us today in our culture. Listen, I know that we live with, with great freedom and, and, and we fought for this freedom. God gave us a great freedom in this nation. But the unfortunate reality is because of this great freedom, the church by and large has become almost anemic, almost to the point of absolutely no power. Why? Because it does not mean everything to them. For the Christian of the first century, it meant everything. I'm going to lose my job? That's okay. I'm going to serve Jesus. You're going to burn my house down? It's okay. I'm going to serve Jesus. You're going to arrest my wife and daughter and throw them in with the wild animals? That's okay. I'm going to serve Jesus. That's how real it meant. And I wonder really how much if the press were on us today because it has been so easy for us to be believers today. How many would take the pinch of incense and just burn it in there? But that's okay. I still love Jesus. Jesus said that he knew their poverty, but that in reality they were rich. You realize that nothing, absolutely nothing, this side of heaven is going to last? It's like a friend of mine has always said, it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. They say that the only thing that's that was man-made that will last in eternity are the scars on Jesus' hands and feet. Everything else is gone. Everything else is done away with. Even as beautiful and rich as Smyrna was, and even though it's lasted as a city for, for over 4,000 years, 
all of that will burn. And yet for the Christian, they're the ones that continue to amass great treasure in the heavenlies as they continue to walk in faith, in hope, and in trust, and in obedience to Christ. Beloved, you you may not have $2 in your savings account, or as my mother-in-law used to say, you may not have two nickels to rub together. But that's not the most important thing. What is your situation in glory? What is your situation in heaven? Where is your heart and your life with him? That is the of the utmost importance in all of our lives. And yet the unfortunate reality is, yes, even as Christians, more often than not, we strain, we strive, we stress to make sure that we've got a great 401k, to make sure that we've got the house with all the bells and whistles, to make sure we've got the latest vehicles, to make sure that we've got all of these things, knowing that yet all that's going to burn. All of that's going to burn. Interesting, isn't it? The the church in Laodicea, over in chapter 3 of Revelation, they considered themselves to be rich. As a matter of fact, uh, Jesus told them, you say I'm rich? I've become wealthy and I have need of nothing, but you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I wonder what the church today says. I wonder if we say, hey, you know what? We're doing fine. Why? We've got big buildings. We've got this. We've got that. Everything's doing good. We've got savings accounts. We're doing this. We're doing that. Everything is wonderful. I wonder what the church says, but then I wonder even more, what does Jesus say about us? Because, again, as much as I concern myself about these things, and undoubtedly we all do, about, well, where's the checking account balance? Are we going to be able to pay these bills and all these bills? I don't think the Lord worries about these things. What he's worried about is your relationship, my relationship with him, and whether the treasures are being built up in the heavenlies. The Jews, due to their hatred of the Christians, they assisted the Romans in every way possible to continue the persecution. Jesus tells the church there in Smyrna in verse 9, he says, And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. This idea of the synagogue of Satan, I've spoken about both here with the church of Smyrna, but also with the church of Philadelphia. In Revelation 3, 9, we read, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. When he says the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, I we we don't have a real clear direction there of, of what exactly it means. But I believe that it could be twofold. Number one, the blasphemy against Jesus himself, as the Jews would come against the Christians. But I also believe that it's the blasphemy of the Jews who say they are Jews, and yet they're not truly worshiping God at all. Paul tells us in Romans that not all who call themselves Jews were truly Jews. Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 28, he says, For he is not a Jew who is one naturally or outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, 
whose praise is not from men, but from God. It would seem apparent that the, that Judaism of that day had become much, much more political than religious. And when the Jewish leaders kept vying for all kinds of power and position within the Roman culture, there was absolutely nothing spiritual, nothing religious that was going on in any of their actions. Jesus goes on to offer Samaria some continual encouragement. He says, do not fear, in verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Now, you need to understand They've probably already had some suffering. They've already had some persecution that's been going on. But now Jesus says, don't fear what you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested that you will have tribulation 10 days. It's kind of interesting. Why is the Lord allowing them to go through tribulation? Why would the Lord allow his church to go through that kind of uh, uh, attack on them. Is it because they needed to be disciplined? Is it because they've made some wrong choices and he's going to correct them? Let's look at this whole passage one more time. Back up in verse 8 and just look at it real quick. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulations, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. I don't see anything here at all, except the Lord's encouragement to this church. He's, he's not slapping them. He's not saying, hey, you guys are really failing, and so I'm going to send persecution on you to straighten you up. As a matter of fact, this church, Smyrna, and the church of Philadelphia, they're the only two churches that get a good report in all of the seven. And yet both of them are going through stuff. Beloved, any time that you think that you're going through stuff, I, I agree. You need to do that personal check. Number one, Lord, am, am, am I out of your will Am I walking in a way that's not pleasing to you and you are simply using this to kind of gently or sometimes not so gently get me back in line? Or are you doing this to, again, in in my life to strengthen me, to deepen my commitment to you, my, 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 my trust in you? Perhaps, Lord, it's simply as a testimony of you in the lives even of your children, that even through stuff that's hard, stuff that's inconvenient, stuff that's unpleasant, because of our great love for you, we'll continue faithful. Isn't that what happened with Job? He said, hey, the only reason Job's serving you is because you're good to him. What happens when he's not good to you? God says, hey, go ahead. You know, there are times in my life that I hope that God forgets my name. I'm just saying. But Job, even through all of that, God showed him the greatness of his glory. And God blessed him even more at the end. Jesus said that in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
And speaking of the Christian life, Paul declares to the Romans in Romans chapter 5, he says, we also glory in tribulate Glory in tribulations? Really, Paul? How in the world can you glory in tribulations? I believe because Paul had grown, Paul had matured in his life to that point of understanding. We glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So Paul is saying, yeah, you know what? We're going to go through tribulation. That's okay. That's okay because I know God is doing a greater work and I'm okay for that. How can you be okay for that? How can we really stand in a time of stress, trial, persecution in our life and be okay with that? It's an honest question. And I think the only way that we can do that is recognizing the greatness of the sovereignty of Almighty God. That he is much greater than my present reality. And I don't know what tomorrow is. And I don't know how he's going to use this thing in my life right now to glorify himself even greater and to strengthen me and to draw me even closer to him. James tells us, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Are you kidding me? Count it all joy when you fall into trials. Knowing, and again, This is that understanding of the sovereignty of God that my present reality isn't the totality of all that God is doing. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect way, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In this passage, he says you're going to have tribulation for 10 days. You know, you look at that and you think, well, 10 days. Hey, I can handle 10 days, man. I've been in tribulation for five years. Are you kidding me? <laughs> what does he mean by 10 days? Well, when you, when you look at the commentators on this, they are literally and truly, they are all over the map in understanding what, what 10 days means. <coughs> Excuse me. David Guzik gathered a lot of the uh, different commentators, made it a lot easier for me. I didn't have to go search them. Some of them think that John really means 10 years. Of persecution. He says 10 days, but he really means 10 years. Well, according to Adam Clark, as the days in this book are what is commonly called prophetic days, each answering to a year, the 10 years of tribulation may denote 10 years of persecution. And this was precisely the duration of the persecution under Diocletian, during which the Asiatic churches were grievously afflicted. Others speak of the reign of ten different Roman emperors. John Wolvard's commentary says the first was under Nero, the second Domitian, the third Trajan, the fourth Adrian or Hadrian, the fifth was Septimus Severus, the sixth was Maximin, the seventh was Decius, the eighth was Valerian, the ninth was Aurelian, and the tenth was Diocletian. And that was just before, and that was in uh, 284, that was just before the legalizing. So for all of those years, all of those Caesars, they were under persecution. Some, though, they, they take the hours 
or they changed the days to hours, and they really tried to make some stuff fit. Adam Poole writes, others observe that in 10 days you have, here's a question for all you math experts, in 10 days, how many hours do you have? 240, right? Well, it turns out that 240 would make up the number of years from, so you take the days, change them into hours, take the hours, make them years. So you got 240 years, and that's the number of years from 85 AD when the, the second persecution began, which was uh, about the time when John was writing also, all the way to the time of 325 when all the persecutions totally cease. So uh, I think that's really stretching the thing myself. I personally kind of lean toward William Barclay's idea. The expression of 10 days is not necessarily to be taken literally, but it's just a normal Greek expression of a short time. In other words, it's not going to be a long time. There's going to be an end to it. Now, it could be 10 days, but that, for me, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. When we look at this 10 days, we see a similar kind of thing even in the Old Testament, uh, in the book of Daniel, there was times and issues and declarations of 10 days and different things. So it's it's not un, unheard of to just state that 10 days is just a declaration of time. But their persecution was going to be limited to a certain time frame, and then it would be an end to it. So Jesus goes on to tell the church in Smyrna in verse 10, he says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. This crown was a victor's crown, the Stephanus. It's the, the one that was made of a, a, a vines or reeds that, that went around their head. It was, it was the crown that was given to, to those that had run the race and had won, who had done the good job and the celebration of their, their ability to do what they did. That was the victor's crown. This is, this is a crown that's not given to just those that are, that are martyred. Either. As James tells us in James chapter 1, he says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So it's not just being martyred. It's also just for those who have run well, endured temptation. But for those that were martyred in their faith, there was a special blessing that was given by the Lord Jesus. Around the time frame, of 165 A.D. This is a while after John's writing here, about uh, 70 years or so. Bishop Polycarp suffered martyrdom. He was an old man. He was 86 years old at that point in time. In reading from the martyrdom of Polycarp, which was written only one year after he was martyred, so you, I think that uh, we, when we read it, there's a lot of things we can hold to that Sounds like probably the true story. But anyway, in the writing of the martyrdom of Polycarp, we find the following. All the martyrdoms which God allowed to happen were blessed and noble. They were whipped to shreds till their veins and their arteries were exposed and still endured patiently, while even those that stood by cried for them. They had such courage that none of them let out a sigh or a groan proving when they suffered such torments that they were absent from their bodies, or rather that the Lord then stood by them, talked with them, comforted them.
Thanks for spending your time with us today on The Open Word. If you were encouraged by this time together learning more about Jesus and want to hear more, we'd invite you to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes where you can get notified of the latest message as soon as it's available or find archive messages you may have missed. You can even find these teachings online at theopenword.com. There you can learn all about The Open Word and the ministry we're blessed to be a part of. In fact, Pastor David has a special message for you about how you too can be involved in sharing the good news through the open word. There really is something deeply refreshing about being a part of God's kingdom. Not only do I get to learn more about him every time I open the Bible, but he's given me the great privilege of sharing his love with you. This radio ministry and others like it, they're a wonderful and powerful way that God is reaching people across the nation and well, across the world with the gospel. We're blessed to be a part of it. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. Would you prayerfully consider being a part of our financial support here at The Open Word? If you feel led to give, visit theopenword.com and click on the support option. That'll bring you to our secure giving page. Your gift will help us to continue to grow and spread the word of God. Thank you for bringing this matter before the Lord. Thanks, Pastor David. As our time with you draws to a close, know that we continue to pray for you and for more and more people to come to know Jesus through this ministry. Join us next time to continue studying Revelation right here on The Open Word.